In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. I have a small quiz for you this morning, but first off, I need to say all doctors are disqualified and cannot participate, including you, Chris, my fiance, who's watching. For the rest of you, how many of you know where your spleen is? Raise your hand. I see three out of the congregation. That's pretty good. Four. How many of you can tell me how many times the average person blinks during a waking day? Any guesses? I heard a thousand. Huh? Ten thousand. Fifty thousand. Woo. The average person blinks 14,000 times a day. That's the equivalent of 23 minutes with your eyes closed. Now, just as I am beginning this sentence, in the fraction of a second that I am beginning this sentence, your body has created one million red blood cells and they're running all around doing their job. Now, do you make those red blood cells? Are you thinking, I need to create a million red blood cells right now? Do you calculate your blinks? And then if you don't do it, who exactly is orchestrating all of this. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. The Hebrew word for God is So in the ancient Hebrew understanding, when the baby emerges from the womb and goes, <gasps> the breath of God enters the body. And when the person lies, hopefully late in life, on the bed, and you sit with them as they're dying, the one thing that goes away quietly and gently is... You are a marvel of God's own making. The fact that your body is able to operate is nothing short of miraculous. And all of our science and all of our medicine with great devotion, studies the human body, and we have so much more to learn. But you've only just begun. 
There is so much that we don't understand. But if you think for one moment that you make all of this miracle work, you're wrong. We don't do much to make our bodies work, but they do anyway, don't they? We don't calculate. We don't orchestrate. We just open our eyes and breathe and walk and talk. And somehow, someone makes it all work. The American consciousness is built upon the concept of competition. I think it's because we are raised in a capitalist culture. So we think of ourselves as like other people and we compare ourselves. Oh, she is prettier than I am, or he makes more money than I do. She has a better voice. As if we're supposed to all be alike and we compare one another. And we always are left with a feeling of inadequacy because we can't be the best at all the things we're supposed to be good at. But think for a moment, compare the eye to the hand. Can they even compete with one another? And if they did, wouldn't one of them feel like a total failure? What are the criteria? I mean, if the criteria is who sees better, the eye definitely gets it. If the criteria is who can hold on to something, well, that's the hand. So how could we ever compare the two? And how can we ever compare human beings who are born so completely and uniquely designed for different purposes and functions? How can we Simplify things down so much that we approach each other as if we're supposed to be the same? Like cookie-cutter gingerbread men cut out of the same material? Are we really the same? St. Paul says that the community that is the church or the ecclesia, this group that we are, that when we're baptized, we become part of a body. And as such, we each have these unique roles, so very specific, like the red blood cell or the blink of an eye. But God has designed you to move within this very community for a reason. And you may not fully understand your purpose throughout the whole course of your lifespan. But nevertheless, you have a purpose and it is unique. And it is every bit as important as my purpose. Each and every one of you is essential for the working of the body of Christ, for the mystery and magnificence that is 
the church. There is an old television show that I used to love. I don't know how many of you saw it long ago. It was called Joan of Arcadia. The story is about a teenage girl who hears the voice of God. And in every way, she's like a normal teenage girl with emotional ups and downs and gossips and swears and wears weird clothes and everything. But what happens to Joan is that God will speak through a person and tell her things, and that person later will not recall the event at all. So it's almost as if people are infused with the Holy Spirit for a moment and talk to her, and she learns that she's supposed to do what they say. And her story is the messy unfolding of her life as she learns to follow God's will. So one day, Joan is walking through a hallway in high school, and everybody's hanging around, and the janitor walks up to her, and he says, Joan, I have something to tell you. And she goes, oh, no, not today, God. I have a busy schedule. God says, this is important, Joan. It's always important, she says. Well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to see that boy across the hallway, and the janitor points at Billy, who is a greasy, wears always black, has a lot of pimples, is generally a total social outcast, and probably does drugs. And the janitor says, Joan, I want you to walk up to Billy right now and ask him to the prom. And Joan says, You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> this is social suicide, what you're asking me to do right now. You realize that, don't you? The janitor nods. Joan does this teenage thing. She goes over there, but she's muttering some not nice words under her breath. Billy's just about to open his locker, and she says, Ah, uh, <laughs> Billy, uh, he turns around, yeah, she says, uh, I was just wondering if you'd like to go to the prom with me, and he looks so startled. Really? Uh, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, uh, meet me at the high school. Mm, six o'clock. Billy's just looking confused, but happy. Joan takes off. The night of the prom, she's waiting outside, and sure enough, Billy shows up. He's improved his attire to a black leather jacket and a black shirt and a black tie. He's combed his greasy hair a little bit. Joan is dreading the evening. They go inside, and he grabs her with his sweaty hand and takes her out on the dance floor and then says, hey, Joan, check it out. He opens his leather jacket and there's a bottle of whiskey in the side pocket 
And she says, oh my God, are you going to get us expelled? Listen, let's get out of here. Why don't we leave? And he goes, yeah, that sounds great. So they get in Billy's old car and they drive to a parking lot where he gets the bottle of whiskey and starts drinking and Jonah's thinking, oh, how am I going to get out of here? And then Billy says, oh, let me show you something. And he gets a gun out of his trunk and he starts shooting cans off of a trash can. And the cops hear the sound of the gunshots and the cops come and Joan is dropped off at her parents' house in a cop car and she's grounded for a month. It's a total disaster. The next day, Joan goes to school with a hoodie up trying to hide her face. The janitor walks up to her and says, thank you, Joan. And she says, how dare you ask me to do that? I'm grounded for a month. Billy's in jail. The whole thing was a total disaster. Everything I did failed. janitor said, no, it didn't fail. You have no understanding of what you did. You see, that afternoon when I told you to go ask Billy to the prom, he was just about to reach into his locker and take out his gun. He was planning on shooting everyone in that hallway. And you gave him hope. And yeah, now he's in jail and he's going to have a rough time of it, but he's got a chance. He's got a chance, Joan, because of what you did. My friend Susan is a Methodist minister. When she was in high school, there was a woman who worked as a janitor in her high school. The woman's name was Guna. And all that she did all day was clean the bathrooms in the high school. But whenever my friend Susan saw her, Guna would say, hello, hello, Susan. And Susan one day asked her, how do you do it? How, how do you do that job? It's so dirty. And Guna said, honey, any job is a job for Jesus. Any job is a job for Jesus. And every day I go into those bathrooms and I clean it up and I pray for every single teenager who uses that bathroom that day. Because that's my job. Susan never forgot those words and she says to this day that Guna is one of the reasons she became a minister. You have no idea what your function is in the body of Christ. You may think that you're not doing very much. You may think that your little phone call to the old lady who may be alone doesn't matter. Or the grocery bag that you pick up and you leave here to bring to St. Mary's food pantry. You may think that the flowers that you got for the altar or 
the fact that you swept the floor doesn't make a difference. But who are you to say how the body works? And who are you to say what function is more important than another? You see, we can't see how it all comes together, just like we can't count the amount of times we blink. But God knows and God sees, and God is conducting this beautiful music that we are part of that is so far beyond our understanding. And in this time of COVID and technology and division, this community here at the cathedral, it's doing something that is alive and magnificent and miraculous. And you're part of that. And you are so important. You are part of the body of Christ. Amen.